All right. Hi, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live streaming podcast for Thursday, January 26th, 2023. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of FootballOutsiders.com, joined as always by Mike Tanier and joined by Brian Knowles once again, who is our uh, NFC Championship expert, and we are going to be previewing the two conference championships on today's show. Don't forget we love your comments and questions. If you're watching us live on Twitch or YouTube, bring on the comments and questions. We'd love to hear from you about these great games. But first, I want to get Mike's take on this morning's big NFL news, which is Nathaniel Hackett being hired as New York Jets offensive coordinator. As we said before the show, hope springs eternal during draft season, even for New York Jets fans. <laughs> They now have to talk themselves into the guy who failed so terribly in Denver running their offense. They're not talking themselves into Nathaniel Hackett. Jets fans are talking themselves into Aaron Rodgers. And we are obligated to very self-consciously play along right now because it's not a 0% probability. It might be a 1% or 2% probability that all the things fall into line for this to happen. And therefore, we have to kind of roll this because it's very clickable. And Jets fans right now are very, very stimulated, very overstimulated by this idea. And so there's a lot of business to be done by saying, well, let's look at it. And there's a little bit in my walkthrough. Let's look at what really would happen and what would go into this. Um, the Jets are probably not getting Aaron Rodgers. What they got was a average offensive coordinator. I mean, Brian, do you have any sense of what Hackett brings to the table after what we saw this year? Uh, he brings his system. It's, it's very solid, uh, uh, unflexible system. I believe he's never ranked higher than 15th in offensive DVOA without Aaron Rodgers. So that is kind of a, a significant flag there. Uh, if, if you're not going to get Rodgers, I know there's been Jets fans in the Discord asking all about like the financial implications of a trade. Like, what can you do? Like, yeah, I mean, if you, I don't think this makes sense unless you get Rodgers, and I don't think it makes sense even if you do get Rodgers because you are putting all your money on like a very short window here's the yeah. jets what you have right now is a bunch of young talent and you need a quarterback yes. you shouldn't be trying to get like you know a 30 something year old veteran you should be trying to find someone with the bill for the long term here you shouldn't be you're not trying to maximize a short-term window you've got all these young players you want to build long here i don't know who the quarterback he's looking for that's going to fit that system because he hasn't shown the ability to be flexible with it yes. i mean i still like the idea of keeping the shanahan system and michael floor and bringing in Garoppolo, who knew how to use that, run that system, and then having Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and a good offensive line and a good defense with Sauce Gardner. And, you know, I didn't feel like you had to sell your whole team out for Aaron Rodgers. I felt like the Shanahan, they were doing the Shanahan offensive system and they just needed a quarterback who could run it. And instead, they ditched the Shanahan offensive <laughs> system and brought in Nathaniel Hackett. Who is sort of like a cousin. It's sort of a systemic cousin because he's coming in from the Lafleur side of that, and is now turning into like this tangled, uh, you know, uh, tree there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they should be using their early round picks on refreshing their offensive line and doing things like that to sort of build the depth of the roster, not to be going out and throwing it at something. By the way, Bill Monty, don't worry. Very soon, uh, Aaron Schatz will be bringing out his uh, his model of an ankle and will be showing you everything that we know about Patrick Mahomes' ankle. We're going to be using our medical knowledge to really give you inside information yeah. on what's going on. Well, well, uh, we, we, we were going to do the 49ers and Eagles first, but let's let's answer this question. What Bill Monty wants to know, 
What do you think of the elephant in the room that Patrick Mahomes could be the first quarterback to lose three conference championships at home? Who gives a cut? I mean, no, just Bill is, I think, referring to a big argument that was had on Twitter this morning between our former comrade Scott Kazmar and a number of other people when Scott brought up that. Patrick Mahomes could become the first quarterback to lose three conference championships at home. And with no disrespect to our former comrade, that's a good thing. It's good that you lose three conference championships at home because it means you were in three conference championships at home. (laughs) Right. And I'll go in a second, Brian. I'm here in the homeland of Donovan McNabb, who lost NFC championship after NFC championship, some of them on the road, but continually lost them. When you win, the Super Bowl, which McNabb never did, but that's different. That changes the complexion of all of the other things. When you reach the Super Bowl again, which Mahomes did, that changes the complexion of these other things. It's a very, very strange, almost like something pulled from the media guide thing to 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 really, you know, latch onto. Right, and I'm not a big believer in the guy who can never win the big game. I don't think there's anything wrong with Jim Kelly. You know, I mean, Jim Kelly made it to the big game four times. It's better to make it to the big game than not make it. And you're talking about Patrick Mahomes being in five straight AFC championship games, which, by the way, two of which he won. And then we don't know yet about this one. I don't think there's an elephant in the room at all. Yes, no, it, it, it's ridiculous to be concerned. Oh, you know, we, we're, we're not doing well enough and reach the final four year after year after year after year. After year. <laughs> right. It, it's a- it's almost like people going after Brandon Bean. Why aren't you more like the Bengals? Look at the freaking record we put up here. He's two and three in championship games. He's two and three in championship games. That's a Hall of Famer. Right. Not somebody that you go. Well, and he like might be two and three. If he loses this year, we don't even know yet, yeah. right? Because they haven't played this year yet. If you want to freak out about something, it's potentially going 0 and 4 against the Bengals. It's not good. You know, it's not uh, losing in the conference championship game because you keep getting right. there. Right. If you want to go panic about quarterback wins, that's the direction you want to panic in. Not, not about, oh, we can't win the second biggest game of the year over and over and over again. I mean, and I'll remind you that when one, when one team owns another team, eventually, usually, usually, eventually, the other team gets there. Just look at the 2006 AFC Championship game when the Colts went down 21-3 to the Patriots, and the Patriots owned the Colts. Yes. Yes. And then the Colts came back and won and won the Super Bowl. Right. And then later on, it was more of a balanced matchup between them because there were other yeah. matchups in which the Brady team won, other team matchups where the Manning team won. Generally speaking, the great teams will trade paint. And like an 0-3, 0-4 will become, you know, a 2-3 and or a 2-4 because that's how it works because these teams are right. good. All right, let's switch it up then. Well, let's do Bengals Chiefs first, and then we'll do 49ers Eagles. It's easy enough to switch our notes since there's only two games to talk about. So this is, yes, this is the later game, but we'll do it first. And the line on this one is interesting because it's gone back and forth. It went all the way to Bengals minus two and a half, and it is now back to Chiefs minus one. Because Mahomes looked good at a press conference and was a... Full participant in practice, even though we we didn't get to actually see what full participant means. It's not like we have video of him running around and scrambling. There's video of him jogging slightly. There is video yeah. of that. There's jogging. So I mean, that's the big problem with this game. The big problem with this game is 
we just don't know how much Mahomes, like how much of Mahomes are we getting? Because as much as the Bengals own the Chiefs, they don't really own the Chiefs. Those are all close games. They beat the Chiefs this year 27 to 24. If Harrison Butker hits a 55-yard field goal, that's tied. Maybe the Chiefs win the game, right? Like it's not, it was not like 31 to 10. Right. It wasn't like what the Bengals did to the Bills last week. Right. <laughs> right. The Bengals right. haven't done that to the Chiefs. It's all yes. been close. So the Chiefs were the better team during the regular season. They had the best offense in the league. Offense is the most predictive thing. But we don't know how much Mahomes we're getting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I know we're all tired of talking about it already, but it's it is it's the storyline because if Mahomes can't can't move around and do crazy Mahomes things when the first read is taken away, that. It, it takes away so much of, of his value that the, the highlights we see like every drive where he like does a pirouette and throws a ball underhand 20 yards to Travis Kelsey goes away a little bit if he can't move. When you saw the second half of that game where he was limited uh, last week and you saw how much Penny-like play calling there was doing, like, like let's run another tunnel screen, let's get the ball into the flat quickly, all the things that they, they were doing to sort of hide the fact. Well, I don't think they were trying to hide the fact, trying to protect him. I mean, the one thing you're going to see right away is they're they're going to have more maximum protection. There's going to be a sixth guy out there, whether it's a running back or Bell or something, and that automatically takes away some of the things that the Chiefs do best, which is just baffle you as to where that ball is going to go and 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 make you defend the entire field. Yeah, there were no deep passes. Once no. Mahomes got injured, he never threw from outside the pocket, and he never threw longer than 15 yards. And he couldn't plant. If you watch, he couldn't plant. Yeah. I have a feeling he'll be able to plant okay. The miracle of cortisone and a nice little brace uh, will get him in a position where he can, when he needs to, accurately get the ball some somewhere down the field, but not maybe Mahomes accurately. And I, I know we've mucked a little bit about like, oh, it was a press conference, but no, the, the fact that he wasn't in a walking boot is significant. The fact that he was able to be out there at all is significant. Yep. You know, there, there are there's a range of outcomes to high ankle sprains, and he might be on the lower end of it. But for example, I looked at the stats that we have now from SIS, and the Chiefs are number one in DVOA without pressure and number two with pressure. Does that second number go down now that Mahomes cannot be mobile? I would imagine it does. And I imagine the Bengals are going to blitz for at least very early on to try to test that angle. You've you, you got to find out just what he can do. You know, right. Historically, it's always don't blitz Mahomes, don't blitz Mahomes, don't blitz Mahomes. Yeah. Now that Mahomes can't move around as well, do you blitz Mahomes? At least for a driver two until you can find out exactly how well he can move. And and the, the playoff strategy for the Bengals, I think Dark talked about it. Mike Hilton is coming off the edge a lot. He was coming off the edge a lot against uh, against uh, Josh Allen. Like eight or nine or ten corner or slot guy blitzes by Hilton. And that's just a simple thing that's really part of their system that you're probably going to see more of. You might have seen less of before. Here's another problem. Having to leave in another guy to block yeah. uh, means they probably aren't going to be able to spread the Bengals out. And here's an interesting thing about the Bengals' defense this year. They sucked in dime personnel. Huh. If they had to go to six defensive backs, they had a 31% EVOA on defense. And against the Chiefs, specifically in Week 13, they played dime on seven plays and gave up four or five completions including a fourth yard, a four, uh, sorry, a fourth down conversion and a touchdown and a 29 yard pass on third down. So you want to make the Bengals play dime, 
But if you have to leave in a second tight end to block or something like that, they're never going to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm trying to think who the weak link that link is. And it's probably somebody I don't really know much about. But, it's probably a third uh, yeah. safety or something. I mean, or the fourth right. cornerback. <laughs> but Mike Kurtz, Mike Kurtz is saying, losing a bunch of conference championships, your favorite in, that's the Andy Reid special. The Andy Reid special is getting the conference championship game over and over again. Right. And they're not really favored in this one. I mean, um, yeah. well, I can't remember exactly what year it is. I think it's this is the first time. This is the first time that both lines in the conference championship have been under three since 1997. <sighs> Something like that. Like, this is really close. Yeah, on paper, this is a hell of a weekend. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, this is really, really close. Do, do By standard, devi standard deviation of regular season DVOA, this is the closest Final Four since 1998. It's only the third time four of the top five DVOA teams, teams have made it. Wow, do we have the teams from 97, 98? I'm just curious. I'm going to find them. 98 was Atlanta, Minnesota, Denver, and the Jets. 97 was Denver, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, and San Francisco. Well, those are some amazing teams. The Falcons team, that Falcons team that year was amazing. And, and was much better in the second half of the year than the first. They were really trending upwards. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. For, for the article this week, I went, I looked at what year, what was the maximum possible DVOA in the coverage championships and what was, like, what do we actually get? And that Falcons team, it's not the top four teams, but they only, like, 2% down off of, I think it was the the uh, 90th end of replacing there because they beat them in the divisional round. Just fantastic wow. matchups then. A little bit lower this year because we had the Bills so much higher than the Bengals, but still having four of the top five teams there is great. Right. Of course, the Bengals, the flip side of this is we still have the offensive line injuries to worry mm -hmm. about. Now, it looked fine against the Bills, but the Bills looked like they were on ice skates for the first time in their lives, right. despite being the Buffalo Bills. And I don't know if we got a true test of that. You really, if you watch the tape, the slowness of the Bills on defense was remarkable. I was like, I'm watching it live, like, wrong cleats? What's going on? You know? And and we may still see, you know, the absence of Jonah Williams, the absence of Lel Collins against a Spagnola defense. Yeah, I mean, we know Spagnola likes to blitz. And the Chiefs' defense is eighth in DVOA with a blitz, 24th without a blitz. Uh, Burrow actually is better without a blitz than with a blitz. The yards per play are basically the same, but if you send just four pass rushers, Burrow is a little bit more consistent, like his success rate is higher even though the yards per play are the same either way. Right. Um, but the Chiefs' pass rush is not spectacular. I mean, Karloftis is nice, and Frank Clark is so, oh, it's been called overrated at this point so many times he's probably underrated, and Chris Jones <laughs> is like a god, but Chris Jones is going up against the healthy – right, he's going up against the healthy members of the Bengals offensive line. More or less, yes. Oh, well, so. let's go to the next game. <laughs> it's like, we don't know. Everybody's hurt. Yeah. Uh, well, no, it's, I mean, we're, we're bringing up a lot of interesting splits, and yeah. we can talk about how Trent McDuffie has been really good, and Jalen Watson not so good, and Legereus needs somewhere in between, and, yeah. um, you That's know, it all comes down to the idea, I think, that this is, that this is, a really close game between two really good teams. Mike Kurtz is correct. It is kind of incredible that the Chiefs got back here after losing a lot of what made them special in Tyreek Hill. What they didn't lose was Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey. 
and Chris Jones. I'm talking about on offense. Yes. That's true. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. And they did a good job. I mean, you don't replace Tyreek Hill, and I don't think MVS really did that much this year. But you take him and you take Juju Smith-Schuster and everything, and you create this opportunity where you become very difficult to – and Jack McKinnon, I think I would add to that too. Very mm-hmm. difficult to predict, very difficult to scheme against. Yeah, mm-hmm. although, I mean, I pointed this out on Twitter earlier this week, and I think on the show that we did on Monday – if you look at DVOA, so you adjust for the quality of the offense. So relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the league, Cincinnati does better against top quarterbacks than they do against run-of-the-mill quarterbacks. It's kind of weird. Like they have a better record against the top quarterbacks than most teams do. And not necessarily, like they let guys like Jacoby Brissett slice and dice them. <laughs> And then they go and they stop Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. It's, it's, it's the defensive counterpoint to the argument that the Chiefs are always just no dogging it in the regular season and turn it on. So I guess Bengals are doing that against the bad quarterbacks and waiting for all the good plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the Bengals' defense is people talk about them like a top-five unit, but num- numerically they're not a top-five unit. Right. But my, my, Mainly the reason they're not a top-five unit is because of things like Jacoby Brissett slicing and dicing them. <laughs> right. Uh, but they have had some really good games against some of these top quarterbacks like Herbert, like uh, like Mahomes, like Josh Allen and uh, Aaron Rodgers and so forth. Yeah. I wonder if the key part of it is maybe being a little more conservative against them, maybe running the ball against them, that they're doing very well against teams that try to YOLO. Bills last week, a, a prime example. And that's how they yeah, – that's how they, they beat these teams because they put themselves in a position to beat themselves. Just a, just a hypothesis. Yeah. I think we also know the Bengals are going to run. The Chiefs' de- run defense is not as bad as it's been in past years, right. but the Bengals' run offense is very efficient. Even though they don't get a lot of long highlight runs, they get a lot of steady gains with Mixon and Perrine. So I think they'll have some success running the ball. Right, right. Um, do you feel any better, says Mike Kurtz, about Zach Taylor running the ship, or is it just that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins make most coaches look good? Better than I did. I thought about him two years ago, at the very least. Absolutely. You know, there was a lot, lot of talk about him, you know, potentially uh, coaching for his job the other way to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's so hard to, to evaluate coaches. But the fact that that you know, if you keep getting here, it's not it's not just because you have talent. You if right. you keep getting here, you're finding ways to use it. There are plenty of teams with talent receivers out there who are sitting at home right now. I have I have to admit that if I ranked all the head coaches in the league based on my impression of them, not only strategically and analytically, but also when it came to, um, you know, locker room management and, um, you know, coaching up your players, I feel like I would take put Zach Taylor 16th. <laughs> like, I just don't feel like he's bad or good. He's just... You look at the breadth of the season and he's had to make multiple adjustments along the way to the bad offensive line early, bad offensive line late, losing uh, Chase for several weeks. The team has been pretty versatile along the way. And I'll also say the early part of his career was defined. He had some assistant coaches who were in there who I think he made mistakes on his early hires. He brought in some guys who were like almost like saboteur level, bad people to bring in when you're a new coach. And I think you don't keep getting here if the if the culture and the management of the of the locker room isn't pretty darn good, you know. So yeah, that's good. the positive. That's what he does yeah. well, right? That is yeah. the culture and the management of the locker room. I think that's right. that's what he does really well. Um, but I feel like a lot of the um, adaptability is on the coordinators more than it's on him. Right. 
And I, I do think he's, he's the worst coach still going today. Uh, you going this weekend? I think the, that Andy Reid versus Zach Taylor is one of the reasons I'm kind of leaning towards the Chiefs because yes, they're gonna have to adjust the game plan for Mahomes hurt, but Andy Reid's really good at doing that. Andy Reid has, has a long history of very <laughs> successful game plans with quarterbacks of all ability, shall we say? AJ Feely. Hmm? Yeah. Mahomes oh, probably better than AJ Feely, even on Henny. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, look at how Chad Henney has played both last year. Uh, just, was it last year? No, two years ago against two years Cleveland. ago in the playoffs. Yeah, against the Browns. And and this year, uh, last week against uh, uh, against the Jaguars, uh, Chad Henney has, has played good. Kevin Cobb, Mike Kevin Curtis, Cobb. Yeah, Kevin Cobb, yeah. absolutely. All the deadlines. Um, <laughs> All it's going to be cold. I will also say it's going to be thirty degrees colder in Kansas City than it will be in Philadelphia. Interesting. It's going to be mild here. It's going to be yeah. Mild. It's going to be yeah. very mild in Philadelphia. It's going to be cold. It's going to be in the twenties in Kansas City. Yeah, the Bengals just won in the snow in Buffalo. <laughs> it's hard to like, ah, that's an advantage. Yeah, they're a cold weather city, more or less, kind of sort of too. So I don't know. I mean, um, I think if you put a gun to my head and make me pick, I'm going to take the Bengals. Okay. Because I'm just scared of the injury. Can I, uh, can I do my props? Yeah, let's hit some, let's hit some props, and then I'll get your guys' final picks. These props come from DraftKings. Uh, they are just sort of the you know defaults. Kind of interesting, though. I thought I'd get your opinions on it. Travis Kelsey, eight-plus receptions. Jarek McKinnon, one-plus, one or more offensive touchdowns, plus 330. So Kelsey, eight-plus receptions, and McKinnon with a touchdown, plus 330. Here's why I don't like it. Okay. Cincinnati was fifth against tight ends this year by DVOA. That's right. And they kept Kelsey to, I think, only four catches in the week 13 game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really going to bring up like I, I, eight is a lot. It, 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 that's a lot, a lot of stuff to ask against a team that's been. Very I mean, last hard. week, Kelsey had 137 catches, and oh. that was just in the first half. <laughs> Uh, but the Jaguars also were not aware that tight end was a position that existed before that game. So it's a slightly different uh, situation. All right. We're going to steer clear of that prop. We'll go with the other one. Joe Burrow, 275 plus passing yards. Joe Mixon, 60 plus rushing yards, plus 310. That's the Bengals ass kicking prop. Well, but 60 plus. I feel like, I feel like if it's a shootout, Burrow will hit that, but Mixon may not. Whereas if the Bengals just kick ass, they're both hitting those numbers. They're definitely both hitting. I can see in a shootout that getting the 61 is not like unheard of. Terribly hard. Yeah. Um, I like that one better than the Kelsey one. If Mixon had a slightly higher explosive play rate, I think I'd be all over that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those plays are, you know, like a lot of his good plays are, oh, here's eight yards, here's nine yards. It's not like, oh, here's the 40-yard run that gets you two-thirds of the way there. Right. I think I do do the explosive plays. Yeah. I think I still like it because I because there is that chance of the shootout and all the numbers just going skyrocketing. That That's always in play in any kind of Chiefs game. I think I'd certainly rather take that than the Chiefs one. Okay. I do have some high lows, but we'll hit them after the, the second game. So let me ask you uh, guys, if you had to pick, if you had to put money on it, Chiefs or, or Bengals? And let's assume that the line is pick them, because at this point it's gone back and forth so much yeah. that by the end that may be what it is. Yeah. 
yeah, the more the line was creeping towards Cincinnati, the more I was liking taking Kansas City and the points. Because if you're going to give me the Chiefs and the points, I don't I don't care how many ankles Patrick Mahomes has, I will take the points in the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, it is a really tough call because we just don't know. We, we, we just don't know how healthy Patrick Mahomes is. I am leaning towards the Chiefs either way. I think with a week to prepare and like plan for a looted Mahomes, Andy Reid is going to put together something that is going to work. Uh, it's just, it's just so many variables in this one. This one's very, very tough to call. Yeah, I'm just going to lean towards the Chiefs because they're the Chiefs. And I think the Mahomes we saw in the second half that gave me the jitters, he's not going to be that unhealthy. He will not be that wobbly and that he will be sufficient. Let's put it that way. So I'm going to lean towards the Chiefs. All right. Don't forget, again, if you're watching us live, Twitter or YouTube, uh, Twitch or YouTube or Twitter, wherever you're watching us live, please uh, go ahead and ask us some questions. We would love to hear from you. Let's talk about the NFC Conference Championship. This one is not a rematch from last year. 49ers are back along with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I am sitting here with an Eagles fan and a 49ers fan. So I'll drop in some stats, but you two can have it out over who's going to win this game. Brian shows up with the, his background ready to put all kinds of championship 49ers stuff up. Like he has already cleared the trophy case. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. Just, you know, just in case. Um, <laughs> now, I say that of all the teams the Niners can be playing in this NC Championship game, I'm not happy it's the Eagles. I'd rather play. <laughs> this is the one we all wanted, though. They're like, like, like we were. This is the this is the matchup everyone was. These are the two best teams team. in the yeah. NFC this year. I can't uh, think of, I can't think of a metric that doesn't have this as the two best teams in the NFC. Yeah, Eagles the best team over the first half of the year by pretty much any model you use. We have the Niners as the best half, the best team over the second half of the league. It's great. This is this is this is this is fantastic, and it's really strength against strength for the most part. Yeah. You know, it's it's you know the Eagles are the top run offense. The Niners are the second best run defense. Forty uh, Niners are the the Eagles pass rush. That is what worries me because when I think of Niners Eagles games historically, all I think about are Niners quarterbacks being driven into the turf, and sometimes they get up and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys had a higher pressure rate than the Eagles did last year, but the Eagles did a better Eagles did a better job of converting that that uh, pressure rate into sacks, into quarterback hits, into knockdowns. Because the Cowboys got plenty of pressure on Brock Purdy throughout uh, you know last week's game. But they only sacked him twice, and they right. didn't really force that many. Bet there was one throw that that was kind of up for grabs that Ayuk had knocked down, but he mostly uh, withstood the pressure. And then when they didn't get pressure, he sliced and diced them. Uh, the Eagles are going to be able to take that pressure and turn it into knockdowns more, and I think really, uh, really disrupt Purdy more than the Cowboys were able to do. Yeah. I'm really. The, the matchup of Hassan Reddick versus Mike McGlinchey, I think, is going to be huge over there on the right side because you, be, you win that matchup, you force Purdy to roll to his left, which he wants to do anyway. And, and, you know, he's going to be shooting, you know. Uh, it's hit, unbelievable how much he wants to go to his left. And he he wants to twirl around to get there. Like, Purdy <laughs> wants to twirl around to his left on every play. That's the seventh-round rookiness of Purdy. It doesn't look like – and most of the times he does not look like a rookie. Okay, but when there's pressure, it's like I'm going this way. I'm always like the field is tilted in this direction, or it's like, or it's electric football, and he's heading towards the little agitator in the corner. That's it. Now that's the thing the Eagles can bring from the other side. You're going to bring Reddick on the on McGlinchey. The Eagles bring pass rushers from the other side of the field there, and it's like, well, Trent Williams is one man. You can get around them, etc. And that could be an advantage for the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 
the Eagles are a much more straightforward pressure system, I think, than the Cowboys generally bring. And so what the Cowboys try to do is say, okay, you're a seventh rookie. We're gonna we're gonna give you all these different pre-snap reads. We're gonna see what you can see and what you can identify. And he, yeah. and he passed that test to a certain extent. And he was like, we have eight pass rushers. We're just going to rotate them in and send them at you all day long. We'll see if right. you just withstand sheer numbers coming at you. Right. No, it might it might well work. It's, it, it is definitely – I don't see the Eagles winning if they don't manage to get that kind of pressure, but right. it's going to be a long, long day for the offensive line trying to hold on them back. If they don't get that kind of pressure, you can usually work the short middle of the field against the Eagles' defense. It's very much sort of a shell that works outside in. 49ers' offense works inside out the way offenses did for the first 75 years of history. And that's a place where if we're not – if the Eagles – I got to not say we. If the Eagles are getting pressure – excuse me, the Eagles are not getting pressure, then the 49ers – they play in the 49ers game. I'll give you something real quick because a lot of this comes down to, well, who will get the lead? Now you get the. I'm always saying make Purdy play from behind. It's rare that he has to play from behind. The Eagles outscored opponents in the second quarter, 207 to 91. Pretty good in the regular season. 207 to 91 in the second quarter. Saw some of that last week against the uh, against the Giants. The 49ers talk about strength on strength. 159 to 73. Pretty good. <laughs> so it's like they're yeah. going to be jockeying. To be in position to say, the second half, we're going to play our game. It, there is so much strength against strength, because think about the 49ers defensive line against the Eagles offensive lines. There's so much strength against strength. Absolutely. Uh, Lane Johnson looked good against the Giants. The Giants do not have the same kind of pass rush that the 49ers have. But, you know, that's what I was worried about the Eagles, because the, the December Eagles are not a Super Bowl championship team with Minshew in there and all the injuries and stuff like that. That's what I wanted to see against the Giants. I wanted to see them look like they did in November and October. like And they did for the most part. It was right. not exactly the world's toughest challenge, but they destroyed the Giants. They, they did exactly what he's supposed to do against that kind of challenge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here's a crazy split that, for example, the Eagles' pass defense, weeks one to eight, number one in the league. Uh-huh. Weeks nine to 16, 16th. Yeah. Then weeks 17 to 20, number two. <laughs> so they had a little bit of a slump, right. but the last three games, that pass defense has been killing. Losing Avante Maddox for a little bit was part of it. Losing uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson for yeah, a losing while. Losing C.J. Gardner-Johnson for a while was a big part of it. Lost it for a little bit. And uh, the Eagles were not getting takeaways as much in the, in the second half of the season. And I think, I think that was a contributing factor to it as well. One thing I uh, uh, Doug Farrar pointed out earlier today, uh, Niners use motion more than pretty much anyone else in the league, uh, pre-step motion. The Eagles are, are the second best in EPA per play against pass plays with motion, but they're the second worst against run plays uh, with, with motion. So that's something, because the Eagles do sometimes have a chance to over-pursue on these kind of things, and I think that's going to be very interesting to see how the Niners use play action and counters and all this motion to get McCaffrey going, to get Elijah Mitchell going against the, the brunt of the pass rush. Because if can, they can get that run game going early, that's going to slow down those pass rushes just a bit, and that's going to open things up. That is right. what uh, I'm really interested to see. Matching up the Niners' offense is hard. They've got, all the, they've got the guys who can line up anywhere right. at any time. But I'm very interested to see how the, how the Eagles decide to, you know, to account for a running back who can play wide receiver, a wide receiver who can play running back, everyone going all over the place. Right. So, so hard. It's so hard. I, can't, I was looking at it and like, man, who would I want to cover Debo and McCaffrey? Who, I'd want Fred Warner. 
<laughs> like yeah. that's so darn. Yeah, I can't can't get him. So you know, that's the trouble with the 49ers is that is that unique matchup. I don't think the Eagles necessarily say, "Oh, we have a solution for this." You know, the solution for the Eagles. Right. The solution is pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, and force them into a bad situation. Yeah, this is again, I mean, a really close game. But I feel like, look, no single game is a test for any statistical theory, right? You have to look at things over a long period of time in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But this game is a really interesting test. One piece of anecdotal evidence for the idea of which is more important, how good a team is for the whole year or how good a team is over the last couple of months. Because if the answer is for the whole year, these teams are very equal. And right. if the answer is for the last couple months, the 49ers are better. I feel that's weird, though, because you've got a couple of injured quarterback games early. Uh, late even if you Eagles. take out the injured quarterback game, even if you take out the Minshew game. Right. Even if, and then the, here, here, here's interesting. The passing numbers for the Eagles are no different in the, Minshew, in the two Minshew games because Minshew was really good in the first one and then bad in the second one, and it evens out. Their running numbers were not as good. Right. Without right. Hurts to take the attention of the defense, they did not run anywhere near as well when Minshew was and they decided to abandon the run in one of the games uh, in the in the in the locker room. You know, they 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 left it in there. That hurt as well. And the 49ers, again, when you do longitudinal with the 49ers, you have three different quarterbacks. You have yeah. McCaffrey coming in mid-year. You've got a Debo gap in there, et cetera. So so you know, it's almost like, of course, there's no perfect, oh, 17 games, everybody was healthy type team. But it's almost like there's like three epochs or four epochs for the 49ers. But the defense got better over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. And so. the offense, especially when you once McCaffrey shows up, yeah. yep. right, gets better for over the course of the season. It, they just, I mean, they're on this ridiculous winning streak. They're number one in weighted EVOA. Like, mm-hmm. they're a really good argument for, you know, week one especially. Yes. Like, let's take that out entirely in a monsoon against the Chicago Bears, the <laughs> Lance at quarterback. Right. Like, it's an it's interesting. If they win, it's a little bit of a data point in favor of weighted DVOA over full season. And yeah. if the Eagles win, it's a little bit of a data point in favor of, you know, full season maybe matters more. But it's just one data point. That's yeah. the thing. You don't decide anything on one data point. Right. For example, let's get a seventh round rookie and start him. You know, would not be yeah. the data point you want to go with. That's, that's, not, that's not the model going forward. Well, I'm lost. <laughs> oh, wait. Just wait until he's a rookie of the year finalist. Well, he should be. I mean, there's a difference between evaluating what the future is and what the accomplishments were this year. Even he though we only played player. seven games? The starting quarterback for a team that's on its that's in the NFC championship game for those seven mm-hmm. games. I suspect that this was a weird year for rookie of the year on offense because there wasn't like there isn't a quarterback that's out there. There's, there's a widespread of receivers and running backs. Yeah. I suspect a lot of the battles this year went, oh, the running back I like number one, the wide receiver I like number two, and I'll put Perry number three because he was the most valuable quarterback. And if enough of those running back and wide receiver votes get spread out, <laughs> right. well, Purdy, Purdy's up there with like the second or third most votes. Just yeah, because Pur- Purdy could win rookie of the year without winning any first point votes. Yes. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> to see how that breakdown goes. Obviously, Chris Olave is the best receiver. Obviously, Garrett Wilson's the best receiver. Obviously, exactly. Kenneth Walker was the best running back. Obviously, Bernard Pierce was the best running back. Right. Nobody was obvious, you know, so that's that's how that's going to go. It's not like sauce. It's not like defense, which I think. Right. No, it's not like defense where I'm sure sauce won sauce probably unanimously. Yes, just clear the trophy case now, young man. So uh, let's do props first. Props. And then let's do props. Okay. Props. 
Okay. Jalen Hurts, 50-plus rushing yards, and Dallas Goddard, a receiving touchdown, plus 450. I don't – you like it? I don't love it. I wanted to put it out there, but what do you think? I like it quite a bit. I know the Niners have had better numbers against rushing quarterbacks this year than they have in the past. Right. They also avoided Kyler Murray twice, and they avoided Russell Wilson uh, in the offense he knows how to run. Uh, Justin Fields ran all over them. Uh, they had trouble with Marcus Mariota, although those are the backups – and Hertz in their game in 2021 ran for eight yards a carry against uh, the Niners. So this was, you know, not good yet, Jalen Hurts. This was still like developing Jalen Hurts. Okay. Because uh, what you're asking there for is like, will a tight end catch a touchdown? And yeah, the Niners let, let up one or two plays like that a game. I, I like it. I like I, I take that one. Okay. Aaron, any thoughts? I like the plus 450. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I'm not playing. I don't play a lot this time of year in terms of uh, gambling, but it does it does have its appeal. There's like there's two scenarios there. One is that the 49ers dominate and, and Hertz winds up getting 50 yards because he's running for his life, and the others, the Eagles dominate, and he you know he, that's part he's part of that. The and middle the ground is not that. running for his life. It's that they're designed runs that he's designed runs exactly exactly. Let me go with another one here. Uh, this is the the Niners side. This one I like. McCaffrey, 75-plus rushing yards against the Eagles' run defense. Debo, 50-plus receiving yards, 50-plus receiving yards. So McCaffrey, 75 on the ground. Debo, 50 through the air, but at a low plus 280. I'm a little scared. I'm a little worried about that one because the Niners have actually been better running the ball with Elijah Mitchell. There's been games this year where they've, they've rested Mitchell for most of the first half and brought him out in the second half to do all the pounding and running You know, when you're just trying to wear, wear another team down. That is something that I could very easily see happening where McCaffrey gets those yards, but they're receiving yards. They're, you know, he doesn't necessarily yeah. get them all on the ground. Yeah, I'm with him. Elijah Mitchell, they're going to use a lot of Elijah Mitchell. It, it, this, that's the prop that is begging for the shovel pass. That's the 65 yard exactly. McCaffrey run. It's begging for that. I don't know. At 75, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't despise it because it was yeah, up to like 85, 95 because he can get that on a couple of splash 15 yard gashes. I, mean, I, I had to pick a favorite over-under for ESPN column, and I wanted to pick Elijah Mitchell, but Elijah Mitchell's over-under wasn't posted yet on season, so I couldn't Ooh. do it. Oh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick here. Uh, do, do Elijah Mitchell. Because yeah, that, That's the thing. Uh, Adding McCaffrey really hasn't helped the Niners' run game by DB Wade anyway. He's below Mitchell. He's below uh, uh, Hasty. I mean, but it, 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 it's a passing game that, that all of a sudden that makes him maybe worth three mid-round picks in the, the, the matchup problems that he brings. Yeah, there is. It is not posted for Elijah Mitchell. I think the house is like, let's uh, let's let's wait on this a little bit. Let's not. So so picking the game, Eagles minus two and a half. I uh, think it's too close to, to lay any points. I think I think the whoever you think is going to win. I don't like the idea of laying any points on this one. So I'll take the nineties plus two and a half. Taking the Eagles, rolling with the idea that seventh round rookie all the way to the Super Bowl. All these rolls of the dice where it doesn't hasn't haunted them in any way, where the bouncing ball interception didn't bounce into somebody's hands, et cetera. Based on that evenness of the game, based on what you see around me here, going with the Eagles, going with getting on a flight in Philadelphia and having all of my colleagues and, and the gang from the from from Philly Voice and everybody and, and, and Kemsky and Brandon Lee and everybody on the flight with me, going with the Eagles. Uh, I'm in a no lose spot here. Because if the Eagles win this game, my preseason Super Bowl pick was half correct. 
And if the 49ers win this game, it really shows that weighted DVOA is a good predictor. Yes. I'm going to go with the Niners. I just feel like once you take out, especially not just over the last 12 weeks, but just take out week one. Just take out week one. They've been so good on both sides of the ball, so good at everything, um, that they they just, you know, especially if I get to take plus two and a half, like I'm yeah. going to, you know, even though that's not plus three, like it would be better if it was plus three. <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the idea that this game could end up close, I, I'm going to go with 49ers plus two and a half. Nice. Great games. Great games. Let me do, yeah. let me do a couple high lows, see what you guys think. Highest scoring team of the weekend. Here are your odds. Bengals at plus 210. Eagles at plus 230. Chiefs at plus 310. 49ers at plus 400. I mean, I think the answer is the Chiefs, because if Mahomes' ankle is okay, the Chiefs were the number one offense in the league this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. Plus 400 is nice for the 49ers, because, you know, if we're picking them to win – uh, you know, at plus 400 odds, because because if Mahomes' ankle isn't okay, maybe that, that might slow that one down. 400 is a, is, is, is a nice thing. I think I should say like the Chiefs. Right. One thing about the taking the, the 49ers in for a highest scoring is they will kick field goals late leading. Yep. Yeah, Shanahan is not aggressive. Yeah, the Eagles do the same thing, by the way, in the second half. And for some reason, they, they, they roll. They slow down in the second half. So neither of them seem great. I'd go with one of the AFC teams. I'm thinking here's lowest scoring teams, lowest scoring team this weekend. Niners at plus 190, Chiefs at plus 250, Eagles at plus 350, Bengals at plus 380. I'll tell you right now, I'm looking at the Bengals in the offensive line collapses scenario, which I which has a what percent chance? Medium percent, low percent, whatever. Plus 380 with that number. I'm kind of looking at the Bengals on that. Yeah, you can imagine the bottom falling out if Burrow is grounded into the into the Arrowhead turf. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and that's the one where I can say the bottom fall. I guess Mahomes is you know yeah. limping away. That's a, but the bottom fallout scenario for the Bengals is the one I can see the most, even though I'm not necessarily anticipating. Right, the bottom fall scenario for the Chiefs is Mahomes limps around, and it's so bad that Chad Henney has to come in. Right, and then it I guess it becomes a lower scoring game, but it's not by that much. I suppose I don't know. I mean, the Alex Smith Chiefs didn't score that few amount of points. So, I mean, like, like the, 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 I, I think even the worst-case scenario, Andy Reid's going to dial up some ways to get some points in there. Right, right. I He's think I, I would go with Eagles plus 350 just because of the Ooh. quality of the 49ers defense. Yeah. A lot of Eagles hate. A lot of Eagles hate. Not a lot of Eagles hate. It's the plus 350 that I like. Not <laughs> a lot of plus 350 love. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Are we good? Right. Yeah, I think so. We're uh, I'm Any, just excited. I'm excited. These are going to be great games. These are going to be great games. And we have a great Super Bowl, no matter which of these yeah. two teams make it. It's going to be a really close. The look ahead lines for the Super Bowl. I saw one place that had a one and a half point line if it's Chiefs and 49ers. Otherwise, the look ahead lines are all either pick them or one. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are really? no game catchers. You know, like like last year, you know, the Bengals were an average team that got hot. And everyone here deserves to be here, and that's rare. And that's that's something we should really enjoy. Real, real quick, uh, the girl who was checking me out at Wawa, 
not checking me out, but like okay. checking out my, my groceries, uh, said that she heard that the, uh, the Super Bowl's rigged because there was a supermarket someplace and they only ordered the balloons for the 49ers and Bengals. Did anyone else hear this? This is not, nothing I've heard about. No, this. I... Yeah, I, I have not heard of that. You have not heard this. I, I don't put a lot of stock into it, but like one of my theories is, well, you know, you probably have red and white balloons available, what with them being common colors and Valentine's Day, but you might not necessarily have like orange and black balloons. The NFL scripted. Thank you, Robert. We got it. And they want the Bengals to win because of that giant Cincinnati market. I don't know. They have green and black balloons That's just around that they don't need to order them. I think well, you know, obviously. Super. You're bringing the 90s and Bengals in, so you get all that 80s nostalgia that's going through. Maybe, that's they, maybe part of it is they already have green balloons. There's your 80s nostalgia. They probably yeah, they already right. have green balloons left over from St. Patrick's Day. So all they need is if they, they need the Bengals black and orange balloons, and that takes care of the Eagles because then they have green yeah. and black. And, and, and that's it. And like that theory actually makes less sense than the NFL scripted. But I, the theory I'm going with is that the, the lady at the Wawa cash register was the banana pants, but the shades are amazing kind of a terminator thing kind of a risky business era tom cruise thing definitely no, no. an 80s vibe though the the, the the last member of huey lewis in the news i believe is what we got going on over here <laughs> yeah like like the the saxophone player i think the saxophone player was definitely a shades guy one of the networks i can't remember if it was ethespn did a graphic last week during one of the games that was a throwback to a huey lewis in the news video where everybody was buried in the sand except their heads. Yeah, I don't remember what the graph. It had something to do with the Jaguars. And it was like, who remembers that video other than old people like me? <laughs> what the hell? Oh, hip to be square. Wasn't uh, didn't Joe Montana sing on that? Montana and Dwight Clark and a couple other 49ers are in the back of... Uh, I think singing is a little bit of a stretch of what you're describing, what they're doing on that track. But yes, they are the background vocals for that. You're there and everywhere. Love the 80s. Two words for you. Ram it. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I want to thank our uh, sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. It is baseball, best ball, draft time at Underdog Fantasy, but also you can play pick'em games with the conference championships and pick a player's chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting is not currently available. Elijah Mitchell, go higher. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun, underdogfantasy.com, or download Underdog in the App Store, and don't forget to please use promo code OUTSIDERS to let them know we sent you and double your first deposit up to $100. All right, Brian and I need to go finish writing now. And Mike has to finish getting ready for Senior Bowl week. Senior Bowl, been grinding film all morning, going to be grinding film all afternoon and all day tomorrow. And folks, you'll see us next. Next week's schedule is Monday. It's going to be me and Brian and Cale Clinton to review the conference championships and do a first Super Bowl preview. Then Cale and Jackson with the news show on Wednesday. And then me and you on Friday talking more Super Bowl and talking about your week at the Senior Bowl and who really coach, There'll be coach hirings then. And there'll be coach hiring news to discuss and all kinds of stuff. And folks, you'll find me on Twitter tweeting like a lunatic about all the things going on down in Mobile, including all the barbecue I eat. Yes. 
So don't forget to follow us all on Twitter. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Get on the Football Outsiders Discord. This is going to be a really great weekend of football. I hope everybody enjoys it. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern.